welcome to the How Did You Get Here podcast. This podcast is where we interview inspiring people to find out exactly how they've got to where they are today. On today's podcast, we have our very own Oxbridge founder and EdTech entrepreneur, Matt Jones. Hi, Matt. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Really good, thanks, really good. good thanks for having me. It's, it's nice to see you again. Likewise. <laughs> What's it been, about 12 hours? Yeah. <laughs> Not long, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Um, yeah, so let's start with, um, do you want to give a quick introduction, um, just for people who might not know who you are? Absolutely. So I'm Matt Jones. Thanks for the introduction. Uh, founder and MD of Oxbridge. So Oxbridge is a, an online college. We um, have just had some fantastic A-level and GCSE results, um, as you guys know. So uh, pass rates, 97%. We've done brilliantly. So we're very much based in the ed tech space. So what we're looking to do is positively disrupt the learning space and I think we're doing quite a good job based on these results. I do too, yeah. Thank you. I think we do a great <laughs> job of it. Yeah. Um, we're definitely set apart from other distance learning colleges I think even with our branding and everything marketing. So what inspired you to launch Oxbridge? That's a really long story. Um, so I think the, the biggest driver for Oxbridge was that um, so I've been in the the online learning industry for quite a while as you guys know mm -hmm. and when I exited my previous business I just felt like there was still lots left to do and and there still is you know we're, we're six years into Oxbridge now and there's still loads and loads to do so the learning space it's a huge industry and there's still a lot that's right for a disruption, positive disruption. And what we're looking to do is just modernise that industry, which is a really antiquated industry anyway, with some very odd practices. And so what we, we try and do is just pull that into, what, the 21st century? I mean, even the 20th century would be a nice place to bring it. So that's what we're looking to, to achieve. Brilliant. Did you have any worries in the early days that you thought stood out to you and you thought, oh, I don't really want to launch it, I'm a bit worried? I feel like I should say yes. Um, the honest answer is no. Um, I was really confident with this idea. Because it's an industry that I know quite well, um, this seemed like the obvious thing to do. So it, it made a lot of sense to, to start Oxbridge and to have that level of disruption. So we already knew what we wanted to achieve when we looked at starting Oxbridge and the problems that needed solving. I think we're on our way, our way to doing that, but we're you know there's still a, a huge amount of... Uh, a, a road in front of us but um, I feel like I should give you a yes answer but there isn't one uh, the answer was I was really confident uh, you know starting Oxbridge yeah mm -hmm. that's good Brilliant. so I mean you talked about positively disrupting the distance learning industry but could you tell us a little bit about what your own experience with school was like and how maybe that influenced you going forward well that's a really good question so again I feel like I should tell you I had a terrible time at school <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The answer is I didn't. I had a great time at school. Um, I, I think I probably had, uh, you know, I was a very f fortunate kid. Uh, you know, my parents really looked after me. They, we moved house so I could get into a good school. Um, I, I don't think I had a terrible time at school. I found it boring. I found it quite uninteresting. You know, you're going through the motions, you're doing what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Class sizes were really big, um, so you didn't get much attention from a teacher. And... You know, you might find one part of a curriculum easy and you end up spending a week studying it when there's other kids struggling. Or equally, you might find something really difficult. And this is one thing that I found is um, on some of the courses that I took, 
there were some really difficult parts and there were some parts that didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would ask my teachers, you know, I, I, I don't understand what's written up on the, the, the blackboard here. I'm going back to blackboards here, showing my age <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And being told to just shut up and, and get on with it. Mm-hmm. So I think that was always quite challenging. So those, those are the tricky bits with school for me. But generally, as a kid, I had a really good upbringing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, school to me was boring. Um, I then chose to go on and study further, Mm. sucker for punishment. Um, So, yeah, school life was, I think, pretty normal. Um, You know, we had a laugh. When you look back now, I guess you think to yourself, wish I was back there, it's nice. Best days of your life, yeah, definitely, yeah, I used to think so. But as a school kid, not a chance. You you just want to get out into adulthood, don't you? But, yeah, absolutely, couldn't, if we could just go back. Yeah, I think there's areas that everybody struggles with at school. I was never very good at maths still still not but it's not held me back yeah so yeah yeah um so i mean we've covered a bit about where traditional schools are are lacking so do you think in the future all learning will follow the um the oxbridge model i hope not um i know that's that's counter to the question but I think there's still a big part where face-to-face learning is really important Mm -hmm. so that whole teacher and student relationship now what we've done at Oxbridge is we've taken that relationship and that um, intuitive style of learning and, and brought it online. Okay, a lot of industries have done something similar with whatever that industry uh, you know relates to. I think for kids, especially in their formative years, it's really important to be in a classroom to interact with other kids and you know understand those unwritten rules and the way that we deal with people and you know just things like eye contact and shaking hands and all those simple things that you're not going to pick up online yeah so i think there's the answer is i I hope it doesn't happen uh i know there is a big push and it seems like a a logical thing to do that we shove everything online Mm -hmm. but it's it's quite similar i guess to the whole work from home thing Mm -hmm. i don't really feel like kids should be siloed at home Uh, i think they need to interact with each other otherwise we're going to we're going to build a generation of children that don't know how to act yeah i agree they go to costa coffee for example and they don't know what to do and that scares me so the answer is i think there's a level to where we can disrupt learning but i think there's a a nice tightly siloed place where we need to be quite sensible about how far that goes now that's not to say that we can't use supportive technologies to help people in schools and kids in schools or even adults in schools to do more with their time you know everyone's really time um what's the word so no one's got any time anymore and we can do something about that so admin tasks and repetitive stuff yeah we can we can help with that to make teachers with those amazing skills that they have and that intuition actually be more useful so rather than wasting time on lots of admin work and filling out paperwork and marking they can actually be teaching which is ultimately what they want to do anyway yeah definitely so, I mean, even though there's a lot of worries around screen time and kids sitting in front of computers, research actually shows that kids um, perform better um, when they're using well-constructed online learning. And um, why do you think that is? I think it goes down to what we were talking about previously. So the problem that we have now, uh, class sizes are huge and that one-on-one attention that that people need. And this isn't just about kids, this is actually about adults as well. So it goes across the whole board. So where the the challenge comes in now is is vying for that tutor or teacher, you know, FaceTime, Mm. and and being taught those little things that you're struggling with, but you might not be. Mm. And that's, that's the challenge. So why online learning works is because 
we can run a course at the pace of the student, regardless of who else is studying on that course. Mm -hmm. And we can give them help and motivation and understanding at the point where they're struggling. Mm -hmm. So that's not always something, and, you know, back to my original thing about school is that I, I felt that as a challenge. So there would be times when I would struggle with something and nobody would help me. And that's because in fairness, you know, there's 32, 33 other kids in my class, all asking questions and wanting help. And the, you know, the teacher only has an hour. So at best that's two minutes a student. Yeah. Yeah. And let's be honest, you know, something complicated takes more than two minutes to explain, especially if you're drawing it on a whiteboard. So I think technology is going to help massively in that, ultra personalization piece mm -hmm. and that's something that we're going to see over the next five ten years is learning adapting itself to a particular learner yeah. and a particular student and i think that's a really exciting uh, time technically that's a really difficult thing to achieve um, as you guys know you know we sit in the same office and you see the challenges so ultra personalization is really really difficult but it is a challenge that would make a huge difference to society. So it's something that we, you know, are obligated to achieve. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that distance learning only works for um, students that want to study, you know, GCSEs, A-levels? Do you think that it would work the same for primary school uh, children who perhaps have struggled in school? Because they're so small, they're still growing and learning so much that kind of the internet perhaps can't teach them. Communication that you know how we talk and communicate every day is something that they learn from such a small age do you think that that would work for them i think it's back to those formative years so there's always a really important piece of being in the real world yeah. so um you know there's a lot of people now that are connected 24 7 to technology mm -hmm. and as somebody that's based and makes a living on ed tech and it's my hobby it's my interest it's what i spend all day and night doing i think it's really important uh, to disconnect as well and get away from that stuff so you know I really encourage like kids to go out on the bikes just get out and in, in the real world you know playing computer games is fine that's okay but it has to be limited and I think there's an element where we can do some of that work online you know ultimately kids these days they know technology from the age of what one and a half two they can already use an iPad or an iPhone or, or you know a similar device so that's where they are now and when I was a kid, that just didn't exist. That wasn't a technology that I could get my hands on. I was really fortunate that my parents ran their own business. So we had a green screen computer where they did their accounting. Um, but that, you know, I was still, what, 10, 12 at that point. So, I, you know, the kids these days at two, they're using lots of technology. Oh, they're yeah. in front of a TV learning. Oh, yeah. And actually one of, the, one of the interesting side points with that is that I find that kids are now learning a lot of Americanisms. So if you oh, listen yes. to, well, you've yeah. got young kids, haven't you? So you understand <laughs> yeah. this, yeah. So the issue is now, not that it is a massive problem, but you, you listen to British school kids and they're using things yeah. like, uh, you know, awesome. Now that's an Americanism. Oh, yeah. yeah, it is. And yeah. Candy a, is a big one. And also when they play, they're playing with each other, they'll put on American accents. Do, they? Is that, do you think that's for like programs that they're watching? Yeah to, yeah, to them, that's where like when they're in imagination land, they become American. Like, <laughs> what's going on? And I've noticed that um, students tend to spell it with Zs and stuff, which is an Americanized way of spelling it. So yeah, I yeah. don't know if that's been picked up from how they've been, you know, watching That's programs. just Microsoft Word for you, that is. Well, yeah. <laughs> just need to change the setting on you. <laughs> 
So, but going back to that point then, so look, that's how easily influenced that generation can be. And, and you know, kids of, of any young age easily influenced and they're picking up because they don't know better you know whereas we would sit down and we would think logically about the information that we're seeing you know the whole like um, at the extreme fake news Mm -hmm. at least you're logically thinking through but they don't know any better so they're picking up what they've been given and so yeah in answer to your question i think there is an element for it because that's where they are and we have to address people in general where they are at point of use Mm -hmm. now the nice thing about the Oxbridge system is it can be used anywhere. It's a web-based platform, so as long as you've got web access, you can use it. Now, that opens up so many interesting possibilities that, you know, more, a larger percentage of our users now, as you guys know, you know, 65% of our users are mobile devices. Yeah. So yeah. that means you can learn on a train, you can learn in the bath. Uh, I don't recommend it. <laughs> but then phones are waterproof these days, aren't they? So, you know, yeah. who cares? And you can be anywhere and that's a really exciting prospect Mm -hmm. but then that translates down to kids as well because Mm. they could be anywhere so we could get them out in a field for example and teach them there i just think we have to be careful and and we have to be a responsible society where we're doing the right thing for the kids not just making it easy through technology for the educators yeah so i mean we often say don't we and it's very true that our tutors are at the heart of oxbridge as a college Um, And obviously, you need to recruit a lot of tutors. So what are some of the qualities you look for? You're very right that although Oxbridge is an ed tech organisation and we're very solidly based in technology, the the ultimate magic, I'm giving away the secrets here, the magic comes from our our real humans, our real tutors Mm -hmm. and our real team. So quality-wise, we're looking for people that can really um, engage and help with learners. So... The stuff that you think about what technology can and can't do, that real human intuition and just understanding people, um, technology can never do that. Well, not at the moment anyway. You know, we're talking 30, 40 years into the future, perhaps. I hope not. I don't like the idea of that. It terrifies me, but (laughs) I've got a good chance of not being around then. so, um, So I think what I look for is... I think it's all about culture for me. And I think the having the right people that have got a real love of what they do. So we're not looking for people that are just watching the clock. We're looking for people that actually really enjoy teaching, yeah. helping, supporting, and ultimately are in that, that mindset where they want to see their learners grow. Yeah. And I think that's something that you can't really teach. That's something that has to come from inside. It has to come from a passion. Yeah, I think you de- we definitely see it through all of the tutors that we meet. Yeah. They're really passionate about their subject areas and they're wanting to help students all the time, yeah. Yeah. which is really good. Um, Matt, we thought it would be a really good, fun thing to do to fire five quick questions at you which aren't career-based. I'm so not you ready? giving you my bank details. It's <laughs> 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 your national insurance number. Okay, so what is your most useless talent that you have? That's a really good question. Um, useless talent, right. Okay, so... <laughs> is this I, something I, you don't want to tell us? I'll be honest with you. I, I, well, I'm, I'm trying to sift through 20 in my mind at the moment. So useless oh. talents. Um, oh, completely useless, right. I know the whole words... Um, off by heart to the song The Bartman from Bart Simpson it's probably before your time but um, yeah that is very niche and a completely useless skill uh, because nobody in the real world remembers that song and please don't ask me to sing it (laughs) 
feel like we should ask you now. <laughs> Maybe not. Okay, we'll, let, we'll leave that one for another day. Um, what's one thing most people don't know about you? Aside um, from the fact that you know all the words to the bar. <laughs> there you go, that's question two answered as well. Um, what do people not know about me? Now, I've, I've done quite a lot of these podcasts recently, yeah. so uh, I think I've laid it all bare, really. Um, I think... One thing that people probably don't know about me is I'm an only child. So, um, oh, I didn't know that. There you yeah, go. Perfect. There we go. Well, there's the perfect <laughs> answer to question two then. Perfect. Okay. So, what's your ultimate ambition? Ultimate ambition, right? So, I think that's quite a dangerous term. Um, we get quite deep here, quite quick. But um, <laughs> so, my ambitions personally. I think having, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20-year goals is quite a dangerous thing mm -hmm. because that makes you quite rigid. Now, you, as you guys know at Oxbridge, we are very agile, so it might be that we, we pivot on an idea really quickly. Mm -hmm. So my personal style is all about having really short-term goals, so, you know, one, two years out tops, really. And that keeps you quite agile because the thing is that, you know, the, the whole industrial landscape changes so quickly and... I know we're talking about technology, but technology is changing at such a rapid pace that I think, you know, me saying I want a flying car in 10 years' time, well, who knows? That may or may not happen. Um, I, I, so ambition-wise, my ambitions are quite short-term. Now, one thing that I do do is I do goal-setting every year. So I have in January a couple of days to myself where I just maybe we'll go away, we'll have a nice you know, weekend break somewhere and I'll just sat down, sit down with a notebook and I'll write down, well, firstly I'll look at last year's notes, what have I achieved off that. I think we could get onto a whole podcast about goal setting. So one of the things that I do do in terms of ambition is get it down on paper. Manifesting. Yeah, like a manifest manifestation. Exactly, yeah, that's exactly. Brilliant. So if it's real, it's on a page and it's not just up in your head, mm. then you've got a better chance of achieving it. There's there's all sorts of research that suggests that that's the case anyway. You're a believer of manifestation then a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. And I've been doing this for a few years now and I've found that it's a really good way of just downloading what you've got in your head and getting it on paper mm -hmm. so i have um i have a goal list that i i come back to not very often so i'll maybe look at it once every january mm -hmm. look at what those goals are and that's for the year some of them might be longer term goals and i suppose that then ties in with ambition a little bit and i'll sit down and i'll think right what is it that i want to achieve over the next few years maybe the next yeah. year next six months so ambition wise um I try and keep it quite realistic because then piecemeal-wise, that's quite achievable. Yeah. Um, and I am quite goal-orientated. So big ambitions, yeah, I want a you know, private jet and all that. that. That's, you know, that's okay to have those big dreams. And I guess loosely in my mind, those ambitions exist. Mm. But I think what what is important for me is to have those micro goals, things that you can achieve and you can tick them off a list. I guess that comes from my logical brain uh, and that's what drives me. Brilliant. Um, so, if you had to change a name, or if you could change a name, what would you change it to, and why? Well, let me tell you a funny story. Um, what, I'll give some thought to what I'll change it to, but I'll tell you a funny story about being called Matt Jones. So, Matt Jones has got to be one of the most common names in the world. And um, I, there's a footballer in the UK called Matt Jones. If, um, if I go to a hotel, or I go to check-in somewhere, or I go to a restaurant, every time I walk up to the counter, what's your name... Do you want my booking reference? I know how this is going to go. Um, Matt Jones. Oh, we've got a few of those. Have you? Mm. So um, 
that's always a big challenge for me. Now, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but um, I, yeah, so having the name Matt Jones is quite a, a challenge at times. Um, I quite like my own name. Um, so what would I change it to? I think I'd probably, um, the anarchist in me would change it to something crazy, um, like, I don't know, Firestarter or something. <laughs> you know when people change their names by default to something crazy? Um, I actually really like my name, so I don't think I would change it, in, in all honesty. Yeah. No, but if, if I did one time decide that I do hate <laughs> my name, I'd probably change it to something crazy. <laughs> yeah, why not? And finally, what's the most interesting thing that you've read or seen this week? So, um, actually, I did... Um, I've been listening to podcasts, so it's... Oh, yeah? It, yeah? Not in preparation for this, necessarily, <laughs> but... Um, so I've been listening to podcasts quite a lot recently, probably happens over the last few months, and there are currently um, some really, really good podcasts out there. As you guys know, yeah. I think we all... You know, when you're in... There's a term called the growth mindset. So um, growth mindset is all about always wanting to absorb information you're always learning something you're really curious and you're looking to it's all about yourself not in a selfish way but you're looking to improve yourself and what that might be is absorbing information or researching or going and reading a book for me it's podcasts so I spend quite a bit of time in the car um, unfortunately and so audio books and podcasts are my poison yeah. i suppose so um there is a podcast at the moment called the business influencer um and there are some really interesting insights in that podcast at the moment so i think it's about 30 episodes long and growing at the moment mm-hmm. and i think i'm about halfway through so i'm really enjoying that uh, they've got some fantastic guests on there and they're really insightful um, and interesting um there is also uh, another podcast by a guy called Reed Hoffman. If anyone's not familiar, Reed Hoffman's one of the co-founders of LinkedIn, and that's called Masters okay. of Scale. Mm-hmm. And so that's um, that's a really interesting one to listen to about the challenges of tech businesses. That's really where it's focused. Yeah. These guys are all based in Silicon Valley or similar. And it's really nice to hear about some, I mean, crazy challenges that some mm-hmm. of these guys have, have overcome. For example, where, you know, the phones are ringing off the hook, fires are burning in the office, and they have to go home, and they just have to leave the fires burning. And I think about how I would deal with that challenge, and my response would be to stay all night. Um, but I think it gets to a point where you have to say, you know, enough's enough. So yeah. those are the the things that I'm currently listening to. But, I mean, there's, a, there's such a wealth of information out there oh, now. Yeah. Yeah, it's really is. exciting, yeah. isn't it? yeah. yeah. Okay, well, let's take it, um, you know, back to the beginning. Obviously, to become an entrepreneur, you have to be quite driven. You have to be very autonomous. Frankly, it sounds exhausting. Um, (laughs) Was there ever a time where you just felt like giving up? You thought, you know what, forget it. So that's a really interesting question. So, well, let me ask you, can I put this back to you guys? Do do you think what I do is exhausting or do you think I kind of just schmooze it well you don't you don't make it look exhausting (laughs) but on the other hand you could just be quite good at covering up the fact that it is exhausting I think I think owning a business is always going to be your whole life is absorbed by that and you have to you know maybe not go on holiday one year because you need to pick up where the business 
is and mm -hmm. I, yeah I, I think owning a business any business is always going to be like your child your baby I think what I would struggle with is knowing that um so many people's like livelihoods are dependent on on me and how well my business performs and I think if things weren't going so well at one point or another I would really start worrying about those people and I would find that stressful that's a really interesting um, insight, actually. So, le well, let me let you into a, a, a secret. So, someone a little while ago said to me, "Oh, you're such, a, you're so lucky, doing so well," um, and, oh, you know, a, a, it was that kind of sentiment. And I sort of thought about that for a few weeks, mm -hmm. and I thought, well, I am fortunate, very fortunate, um, but there's a lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifice that's gone into this, and. One of the other things that this person said to me was, you know, you don't have to worry about money, and, and but I don't think that goes away. So, yeah, maybe I don't have to worry about my own money, but now, like you say, I'm now worrying about the 45 people that work for Oxbridge directly, mm -hmm. and then the other 100 or so people that indirectly work for Oxbridge, mm -hmm. and I'm having to worry about all of their incomes, because ultimately I can control my own, yeah. but I can't control yours, for example. Yeah. So, I think that I'm not trying to be a martyr here, but I think that's a that's a bigger worry for me because at least I'm in control of my own destiny. Whereas for you guys, yeah, that's a that's a constant concern for me is to make sure that you guys are all well looked after. Yeah. Um, there's an, an going back to the previous question. There's another book um, and a, a concept about officers eat last. And I just mm -hmm. if anyone gets the chance, just Google that because that's quite an interesting book and concept. Um, it's about a submarine captain, but that's another <laughs> podcast altogether. Uh, what was the question? I'm very sorry. <laughs> Gone off on a tangent. Um, it was just about if you ever felt like giving up. Um, so you guys have worked with me for a while and I'm a really resilient person. Yeah. Um, so people, if someone says no to me, I see that as a challenge. Mm. Um, so I think in terms of resiliency, I think doing what I do, you have to be quite resilient anyway. Yeah. And uh, in terms of times to give up, I know the expectation would be for me to say yes here, mm. and I don't want to sound arrogant by saying no, but I'm going to say no, and I'll explain why. Mm. So there's never been a time when I've thought about giving up. There's times when I've struggled, there's times when I've had challenges, mm. and there's times when it's been hard. But my logical brain then kicks in, you know, okay, we might have a fire or an explosion, hopefully we don't touch wood, um, and that's metaphorically, of course. Mm -hmm. And there's, I suppose, that initial panic where you think, right, what the hell am I going to do here? And then my logical brain kicks in. It's like, mm -hmm. right, here are the steps that we're going to take to get through this. Mm -hmm. And so I think with a well-planned, well-structured business and a good strategy, hopefully those surprises and the things that blindside you aren't very often. Yeah. Took me about a year to formulate the idea of Oxbridge anyway. So when uh, the organisation started and when we started doing what we do, I'd already got a pretty good idea of where this was going to go from experience. We, we kind of know business is business, regardless of what industry you're in. The same things happen. We still do accounting. We still do finance. We still do yeah. customer service. It just happens to be in a different format. Okay. So I think that's all pretty familiar stuff. But in terms of a time of giving up, I'm going to say no because I'm a really determined, ambitious person and it would take a lot to put me down in that yeah. respect. So <laughs> I, th I think not. Um, there are there challenging times? Yeah, of course there are. There's challenging times every week, every month. 
But because what I do, I, I love, I really enjoy doing what I do. And that gives me a lot of motivation. It gives me a lot of energy. Mm. And it's my hobby. I've said this to you guys loads of times. You know, you'll say, what did you do last night? Oh, what? Oh, God, I can, see, I can always see it in your faces as well. This guy's just mad. Um, but I enjoy it, and it's a hobby for me. And they always say, don't they, that, you know, if you find something that you love and you do it, then you never have to work another day in your life. Yeah. And I actually really enjoy coming into the office. Yeah. So yeah. do I. I love my job yeah, as well. I do, yeah. Yeah. Good. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> we would well, say that, well, wouldn't we? <laughs> I'll slip you that five and yeah. later. Yeah. So, um, yeah, go on. Bearing all that in mind, Matt, and all of the experience you have to date, um, what's the one um, piece of advice you'd give to someone who's just about to embark on starting their own business? It's really difficult to distill that into one piece of advice. Um, there are a hundred different pieces of advice that I would probably give to someone that has no experience in starting a business. Mm -hmm. um, can I cheat a little bit and say two or three? Oh, go so on I think the, the first one is, <laughs> is don't be scared of asking for help. Mm -hmm. um, there are loads of people like me, for example, that will happily sit down and have a coffee and, or a drink with you and give you a bit of experience. And this is what you know, I'm not saying that I know the answers to everything. Of course, I don't. And anyone that tells you that they do know all the answers is lying. Um, but I think it's all about asking for help or at least, I mean, the resources online. When I started my first business, there was nothing available. You were on your own. If you were really lucky, you knew someone else that ran a business. In my case, I didn't. Um, my parents had retired by that point, and so their their knowledge was aged a little bit. So, okay, yeah, people are people. That's not going to change really quickly, but technology had changed very drastically. Yeah. So there was a limited amount of knowledge that I could get there. Um, but it, it, it is about asking for help, and there's so many resources now. There's forums, there's, uh, there's mentor programs, and there's loads of places where you can get this insight. I've made loads of mistakes and I'll happily tell everyone about those and in the hope that they don't make the same mistakes and that makes life a bit more efficient for everyone. So I think it's, um, if you're starting a business at the moment, it's a really interesting landscape. It's a really exciting landscape actually because there's so much knowledge that's readily available to you and so much access to all of these services that you might need to start and run a business and then continue to grow a business that it's, I'm not going to say it's easy because running a business is not easy and that's mm -hmm. the first mm -hmm. first thing that you need to get out of your head. It doesn't look like the films. It, um, it There's a really good series on Netflix actually called, uh, I think it's called Startup. And I mean, that is just six series of craziness. And I, <laughs> I would, I think that was, that's quite a good example of how I would imagine Silicon Valley to work. Mm -hmm. And it is all just crazy i mean that's a whole different ecosystem yeah. which is probably a whole different podcast as well so okay. advice to start a business ask for help because there's loads of people that would be more than happy to help you mm -hmm. and my next piece of advice is have um have a, a well-formulated idea so i'm all up for trying things and you know let's let's test this idea let's have a go but you need to have a pretty well-formulated idea already and specifically know the customer and know the problem that you're trying to solve. So if you can kind of figure those things out, I'm not saying it's perfect and it's a great formula, but if you can kind of understand where the problem is, what pain point are you trying to solve, and then understanding that there's a market, i.e. a customer for it, that's half the way, that's half the battle. And then it's all about perseverance. Business is not easy, 
and especially growing a business is even more difficult. And so I think from that point of view, it's, it's all about perseverance. She talked about ambition. I talked about resilience. And that is really important. And then the probably the last thing I would just say, I'm really sorry, I've, I've totally hijacked your question, <laughs> which gave me one point to ask. And I've, I've probably answered about five or six. I'm really passionate okay. about this area. Yeah. Um, so I've totally lost my trail of thought now. Um, but I think in terms of, uh, yeah, so for me, it's all about don't, don't let go too soon. But equally, um, so with an idea, you test it, test it, test it. Is it working? Yes or no? I think some people don't go long enough. And there's loads of examples of businesses that I am familiar with, not involved in, but familiar with, and I can see it. And I think if just you'd put a bit more into that and focused on it, mm-hmm. that's a great idea. So I think there's a point where people probably let go too soon. Yeah. And then very much, and this is probably a bigger problem, is when people don't let go soon enough. Yeah. So you're putting a lot of time and effort and maybe money as well into an idea that just isn't going to work. Yeah. And I think people need to... It is a, it's an art. It is yeah. an art. And maybe there's a little bit of science in there, but it's knowing it, it's knowing when to hold on and when to let go. Yeah. And there's there's no shame in letting go of a bad idea. Yeah. I, I, think, think, I think people that want to launch their own business, a lot of the time it is just being really worried about what they're going to lose. So, yes. um, you know, you, you can quit your daytime job and then run with this idea and it never works out. And then you think, oh, and it, 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 it's a massive hit. It's a confidence hit. Yeah. So I think having, having that mindset, do you think a lot of it is mindset? when you're launching your own business? Well, let me ask you a quick question. So if you um, if you were going to start your own business, mm. what percentage chance would you give to it working? Oh, that's a good chance. That's Depend good. on the idea, I guess. So you've yeah. got what you consider a really good idea and yeah. put a percentage on it. Well, I think it's 50-50. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think, yeah, especially nowadays, I think there's so many businesses and there is so much out there that could be a, a massive competition. There's a lot of you know, businesses doing well. For instance, I don't know, EdTech, there's a lot of other competitors. Um, so I think you just have to set yourself aside from them and okay. make yourself different. So second part of that question, if you don't start your business, what are the chances of failure? And so I think, you know, it is about risk taking, but if you don't ever take the risk, you're never going to see that reward. So it's that risk reward balance. But what I would say to everyone is, look, if you don't have a go, you'll never know. Yeah. And 100% of the businesses you don't start don't go anywhere. Yeah. yeah. So that's a 100% failure rate as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. There you Brilliant. Go. So Oxbridge, obviously, as you said, we've got a lot of employees now. And as we know, um, when you're hired, a lot of it is about um, having the personality that Oxbridge kind of portray. So what is the formula to finding the right people? So finding the right people. Okay. So there isn't a formula is the honest answer. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very holistic. Yes, there are some tick boxes. There are things that you look out for, and really, it all comes to it comes to culture fit. Ultimately, I can teach skills, and I can teach that kind of stuff. So, anything that you can learn, we can teach. But ultimately, when you're looking for team members, it's all about the culture fit, which is you guys will have experienced the interview process. So, the interview process at Oxbridge is a 20, 25 minute chat. 
Mm. And we don't really talk about work. No, um, I think we talked about cats on my one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but what's interesting there is um, I didn't interview you, but no. the the reason we would have done that is we're, I'm not talking to, I'm not listening about cats. I'm listening to things like your reasoning and I'm listening to your attitude yeah. towards things. And I'll probably throw you a curveball or two as well yeah. and ask you something really <laughs> random. And what I'm looking for is the way that you act and the way that you respond, because that stuff you can't teach. That is fundamentally based on your core beliefs. So what do you believe deep down as a person? You can't really change that. Yes, you can tinker with the edges of it, but that's a lot of effort. And ultimately, some people fit our organisation and some people don't, and that's fine. There are thousands of other options, even in the local area, but millions of options around the world. So... Not everyone fits everywhere. And I think it's really important to just find a good group of people, decent people. And I don't mean that in an ability sense. I mean that in just a general um, way about people, that they're just decent people and can all work together. And you you hear me talk about culture all the time and there's it's written up on the walls and Mm -hmm. uh, and this, that and the other. So it's really important. And I think it's it's something that I think businesses are now starting to understand. So stage one interview for us is is a chat about cats. Um, I mean, it could be a chat about something else, but we're looking for very specific things when we're asking you those questions. And it it might, to the outside world, seem mad, but ultimately feel like it's built built a good team for us. Yeah, I think we've got a very good team. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you a really quick question about that, actually? So I'm in a fortunate position that, you know, we all work together. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there anyone in the office? And I'm putting myself at risk here. (laughs) Is there anyone in the office that you think fundamentally doesn't really fit in and, you know, you, I hate a strong word, but don't like? I, I don't no. think there is. I don't think there's anyone that I clash with. Um, but then I'm one of those people that tend to just get on with quite a lot of people. Yeah, there um, are a lot of different personalities in the office, I think. And that's, yeah. but that's part of the nice thing, like, not everybody's the same. Yeah. That everybody does get on really well, yeah, weirdly, do. because, yeah. like, everywhere else I've worked before has always been that one person that you don't want to be around. <laughs> you or, just avoid. You know, there's been, like, drama or people falling out, and when we don't really have that, and that makes it a really pleasant environment to work yeah. in. So there's two things to say there. If if there isn't anyone, have you ever considered it might be one of you guys? Oh, yeah, that's... Well, <laughs> definitely <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. But the second thing, thing is that... And, and you've highlighted it perfectly for me. And I, I, we Look, we haven't prepped any of this. This is mm-hmm. all off the cuff. But culture isn't about personality. And you're right, there are 45 different personalities in Oxbridge just in the, you know, the the HQ. Mm. And that's not talking about all the other people that we work with. And culture isn't predicated on personality, in my opinion. There are books that probably say the opposite. There are books that probably support me. But culture is something else. And you can bring 45 different personalities together as long as their core beliefs and their culture match and you are seeing it at oxbridge now there's a whole other we can talk about things like building teams and and things like that um you've probably heard me use the term prickly teams now i'm a big fan of trying to build prickly teams now you guys don't have to like each other necessarily but if you you can work together and you amplify each other's ability Mm -hmm. um it doesn't matter if there's a few disagreements here and there about how we deal with them but you know in terms of building teams like that Cultures, everything. So on that, how how do you deal with disagreements if there is disagreements? Have you ever had that situation where you've had to... Not necessarily at Oxbridge, but like when you've been managing a team and people fall out, what's your approach? 
I think it's all about being transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, so the worst thing you can do is do nothing. Yeah. Um, yes, okay, little minor things, that's fine. You might not agree with what I say, um, and that's okay because we're different people. We have different wants, aspirations, and, you know, some our core beliefs don't have to match perfectly. Mm-hmm. So we might disagree on a subject, and that's fine. That's life. That's the way people are, and that's... Yeah. That's really exciting because that makes life interesting because if we were all the same and we like the same stuff, life would be really boring. Yeah, definitely. So what was the question? Sorry, Lily, I do (laughs) apologise. The question is how do you deal with disagreements? Disagreements, right. Okay, so it is about transparency ultimately. Um, Now, you know my method because when when you would have started, we would have um, had a chat and I would have said, look, if we ever disagree on something... We're going into the boardroom and we're not leaving till it's sorted. Yeah. And that's the ultimately, yeah, well, if necessary. Some boxing gloves. HR. Um, but look, do we ever have that many HR issues where we actually have a problem? No. I'm, I'm, I'm in a fortunate position here that I can ask you guys questions as well. So, um, and I quite like that transparency. You know, yeah. there's, there's, everything's on show at Oxbridge. It's all written on the walls. You know yeah. what our yeah. core beliefs are because they're written there. I will tell you anything you ask me to um, in the limits of this podcast. Um, but if we're in the office and you want to know something, can you ask me? Yeah, you yeah, sit right next yeah. to us. Yeah. I ask exactly. you quite a lot. Yeah, probably yeah. do your head in all day, yeah. to be honest. No. <laughs> but I don't mind. And, you know, we do, we do have an open plan office and it. it's a very approachable office and it's very transparent. So I would, I would hope with proper team building and the kinds of people that can dig themselves out of a hole... Mm-hmm and sensible people who aren't just there to cause an argument. I mean, look, Twitter's a perfect example. Mm. It is, it's a place for arguments, isn't it? It's a toxic place sometimes, as you found out, Matt. (laughs) As I did find out, yeah, absolutely. Um, How many thousands of people didn't like me at one point? So, um, but that's cool. So, you know, that that post that you guys are talking about was, um, it came from the the, the most... uh, the well intent that most exactly of the time. You know, like, yeah. It was a completely harmless place. Yeah, what yeah. had we done? We'd put some lanyards out, so of different traffic light colours, mm-hmm. so that you could wear a new lanyard just to tell everyone visually how yeah. you're feeling about COVID. Yeah. Am I going to keep my distance or am I going to come to a normal distance? Yeah. And the fact that the green one, which was I'm I'm okay, yeah. just you know, stay within the COVID rules, but ultimately yeah. I'm not you know, don't lick my face. <laughs> Don't, don't lick me. Yes, okay. Um, but, you know, what What had we written on there? It was something okay with hugs and high fives. Yeah, no, metaphoric, a, of course. A, like, we don't do that in the office. So that's metaphorical. Yeah. But, but, you know, out of, what, 25,000 people that liked that post, a couple of thousand of them took massive exception to it. Yeah. And that's okay because that's life. And yeah. people do disagree. Yeah. And And... And that's all fine. And, and that just keeps it interesting. That keeps mm-hmm. life interesting. Ultimately, uh, as long as we've got the same foundations and the same core beliefs, we're all going to get along. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. So, um, yeah. I mean, successful people, when you hear them interviewed, you often hear, don't you, I get up at quarter to five, I run for 10 miles, I drink 10 egg yolks or whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. What are your success habits, would you say? I drink 11 egg yolks. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's all very subjective and some people love getting up early they love going to the gym and starting the day early I'm not a great morning person and I think it's all about understanding yourself and understanding what sort of drives you and makes you most efficient so um, in terms of my process well I 
I don't get up early. I, I, well, some people might think I do, but I get up at seven every morning. And um, so at seven o'clock, I, I get up, have a coffee or two, depending on how I'm feeling. And then, and don't judge me on this. And then I will do some uh, man yoga. So yeah, I love that. I'm, yeah, okay. I'm surprisingly flexible from this. Um, so I've been doing it for a couple of years now. And it's just a really good way to energize yourself in the morning mm. and to, to kind of get going for the day. So I find sometimes that replaces coffee. So you feel yeah. feel really good. And I'll probably do a bit of work at home then for a, an hour or two. Um, unfortunately, my route into work gets quite busy in, at rush hour. So yeah, yeah. I tend to hold off and then, yeah. then I'll head into work, as you guys know. So I'll, I'll watch the traffic and then I'll, then I'll head in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really how I start the day pretty much every morning, actually. Yeah. I, try and, I try and keep it quite regimented, um, you know, Years ago, I was all over the place. I'd be up at this time, that time. I might stay up late. Now I try and keep it quite regimented. And actually, I found for me, that works really well. Some people get up at four o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. and they nail the day. That's absolutely fine as well. Um, I I think it's up to each person to find their own flow. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, again, taking things back. (laughs) If you look at your whole life in its entirety... Um, maybe not when you were a kid, because, you know, it'd be weird. But um, if you could do anything again differently, would you? And, and why or why not? So when I, well, actually, when I was a kid, um, the, the job I wanted is, you know, the road sweeper lorries, you know, oh, the yeah. ones that go up the road with the brushes on the side. Oh, lovely, yeah. yeah. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So Where did it all go wrong? Matt? I know, right? <laughs> Much simpler life. So, um, and so that's what I wanted to do originally. And then... Um, my parents t- t- sort of taught me out of that. I don't know why, actually. You know, no shame in it. <laughs> it's but probably very good money in it, to be honest. Yeah. And you get to drive on the wrong side of the road, oh, which that's is really true, cool. Yeah. Oh, wow, so, it sounds a bit risky, actually. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then I, uh, very quickly after that, really got interested in, in lighting, as in theatre and, and broadcast lighting. Mm-hmm. And that was my intention for a good 15 years that's what i was going to do i was going to go and get a job at the bbc mm. and i was going to be a lighting director happy days yeah. so my whole education my whole pre-career was all focused around that and um so what i realized is when i started working in that industry is there's not a lot of money in it especially mm. at the low levels yeah. and the hours are awful yes. so you know th- there would be times when i'd be in a venue at four o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and and that's fine especially when you're younger because it's a good laugh mm-hmm. um you drink plenty of coffee or red bull or something like that and it's it's a good laugh it's a good lifestyle mm-hmm. but that's not sustainable for a long time so what would i do differently do you know what the honest answer is i wouldn't change a thing mm-hmm. and why why is that the case well perhaps i wouldn't be sitting here today so if I had a, it's the butterfly effect, isn't it? So the whole, yeah, yeah. the idea that a butterfly flaps its wings and on the other side of the planet there's a tsunami or it, it's something like that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So actually I wouldn't change a thing because every lesson, every failure, every success, mm-hmm. every turn of the steering wheel in the car has brought me to the point where I'm sitting here today and I'm, I'm quite happy sitting here today. You guys are actually doing a really good job of interviewing me as well. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> so I... Um, I don't think I would change anything. In fact, I know I wouldn't because some of the things that I've experienced and some of the ups, some of the downs, I, I wouldn't have experienced those necessarily if I had done anything different. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with the position I'm in. Okay. So, um, where Oxbridge is now, what is your proudest moment, would you say? 
of, of Oxbridge? Oh, that's that a really difficult question. Um, <laughs> depending on how I answer this, I could upset several people or uh, multiple people. So, proudest moment. Um, we have done exceptionally well in the six years that we've been um, been alive as an organisation. And so those proud moments actually um, are regular and frequent. Um, so yes, we've won loads of awards. That's been absolutely fantastic. You know, that's testament to all the hard work you guys put in. And that's a nice bit of recognition. I think the proud moments are when we ultimately see our students doing well. So when our students get A stars and you know, we, we get these ridiculously high pass rates. Yeah. We've done our job, surely. That's yeah. everything we're set up for. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's all these wins that are personal to us and really interesting, but ultimately, seeing our students do what they do, mm-hmm. that's why we get up in the morning, isn't it? You know, to see them be successful. Yeah. So those are the proud, ultimate proud moments because it means the formula has worked for them. 97% pass rate this year for A-levels and GCSEs. Yeah. That's Brilliant. ridiculous. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Like that... nearly forty percent A and um, A star at A level. Exactly. It's brilliant. Yeah. Exactly. Incredible. So we we're in a really fortunate position that we get lots of frequent wins when our students win, um, and ultimately that's the the big mm-hmm. driver, isn't it? Yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, so, what traits do you think a, a leader needs? Um, a good one or a bad one? No, let's say, you know, a good, fair, democratic leader, such as, you know, I hope you would consider yourself. <laughs> I um, well, what I don't know what you guys consider me as, but uh, that, I suppose that's where it's predicated. Well, yeah, I, I, I think you're a good leader. I think, okay. uh, yeah, I definitely think that um, you being in the office and sitting amongst us makes us feel um, a lot closer to you. It's definitely different to any other job that I've ever been in oh yeah completely like yeah. I any other job I've worked in um the, the boss is sort of sat in, in, in an, an office, office far away yeah. and there's no way like you know when you came in yesterday I said Matt you look like a postman I would they would have just been like right go on you sacked you know what I mean <laughs> so that's the kind of thing that is is very unusual and I would say yeah definitely makes you a better leader because if I'm struggling with something if I'm not sure about something I can just ask you, and yeah. I know I'm getting the right answer. I don't have to go through a million different side channels to, to ultimately get the information. I can just ask you. And to me, I think that's that's fantastic. Yeah. And to you, it's probably quite annoying. Yeah. You <laughs> it's incredibly annoying. Um, no, all joking aside, look, the, the trade-off there is, is being open and transparent like we are as an organisation. So you guys know that you can go and approach anybody in Oxbridge and they're accessible to you they're available to you hopefully you guys realize that that comes with some limits on people's time Mm -hmm. um so the trade-off that I make from sitting in the office with everyone is that my time gets quite limited so um the the trade-off of being accessible like that is that means that I probably have another three hours work to do when you guys have gone home (laughs) which is fine um luckily I enjoy it so um yeah I think it's it is interesting. So traits of a leader. So I think the the big one and the you know one of the ones that you hear a lot at the moment is about emotional intelligence. Yeah. So that that kind of empathetic skill. I think that's a big one at the moment, and I think it's something that people are becoming switched on to. Mm-hmm. Is that actually um, well? Look, when I walk into the office, what do I do? What's the first thing I do? Is I have a chat with everyone. Yeah, and I, yeah. I gauge the tone of how everyone's getting on. Yeah, we can hear you before we see you a lot of the time. We're like, Hello. 
do I really sound like that? <laughs> Maybe not with the Scottish twang. Yes. But... <laughs> I do a terrible Scottish accent. So, um, look, what, what am I doing there? I'm, I'm trying to get a feel for how everyone is now. I, um, I know a lot about all of you guys because I spend a bit of time with you um, as and when I can. And it's really good to go around and chat to everyone. Not from a... Well, what am I trying to get from that, ultimately? And, yeah, I'm really interested in what you guys have been up to. I like to know that you're okay. I like to know that you've had a good weekend, etc., etc. But what I'm also getting from that is getting a feel for you as people. So that whole, um, you know, emotional intelligence side is... And it's a work in progress, but it's understanding what drives you guys as well. Now, you'll know as part of your... Um, you know, monthly cycle with with us is that you have a one-to-one with your manager. Mm. And I don't know because I never get to hear them, but I I hope that they go the way I would expect them to, Mm. which was, you know, us finding out quite a lot about you guys and what drives you and what you want. And we develop a a process together and we get you to a point where, you know, if if you go... Well, and and Rosie, you're leaving us in a few days. So Mm. you get to a point where... Um, you've outgrown Oxbridge, and that's great. And we, I know, <laughs> sad face. Um, and, we, and we'll miss you. But ultimately, that's that's good. It means you've had a you know you've had a ride with us, and then that's mm. moving on to something else. And that's we celebrate yeah. that. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. And so, traits of a great leader. Sorry, I get back to the original question. <laughs> um, emotional intelligence. I think it's really important, and it's probably a. a decent percentage of the um if you were doing a pie chart that would be a big one um what are the other things well you have to be confident um you know if you want a decision made you've got to be decisive you've got to be confident in it and informed as well to an extent there are i mean what makes a good leader is another podcast altogether Mm -hmm. and it's probably a two or three hour podcast but i think there's there's quite a few elements that go into that and there isn't a right or a wrong answer about what makes a good leader yeah there are some terrible ones and i think there's definitely a difference between this whole leader and boss thing yeah um and i think quite a few people fall into boss category and that you know in some organizations that works Mm -hmm. i don't i can't see that working at oxbridge because we're quite um the way we all are we've got a lot of big personalities in oxbridge Mm -hmm. and that was done on purpose um so traits of a good leader, that's what I've given you two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there are a hundred more. Uh, yeah. But for me at the moment, those are the ones that I'm concentrating on. And related to the leadership question, who would you say has inspired you the most in your life and why? I think for me, there's a few... I've not seen these questions, so I'm having to think about these as I go. So the, there's a few people that have inspired me. So early stage, my parents inspired me. They ran their own business. That looked really interesting to me. Yeah. And actually seeing the things that that produced for us. So we got to go on nice holidays. I got nice things. And not that it's about the materialistic things, but um, I think as you know, as a kid, you see that you work hard and you get rewarded. And I think that, that was instilled at me uh, really early on. But also, um, it was all about that um, that self-belief and that motivation. And they set me up, hopefully being a relatively balanced human, um, and, and gave me that real ambition and that drive to go and do something. Now, um, so that was, you know, my early stages. I think... The, the people that I look to now are probably not the obvious people. So, yes, there are loads of people over social media that will give you lots of um, business advice and you'll get motivational quotes and, and, and this, that and the other. And that's absolutely fine. 
the people that really interest me at the moment, inspire me, are the, I'm going to say the, the smaller people. So the people that keep it quiet and the people that are just on the grind mm-hmm. doing what they do. They don't want much fanfare and they don't want much from anyone. They're just getting on with it. And it's, you know, those people are a little harder to find, actually. And those people that are just getting on, growing a business, doing what they do, it might not even be about business. It might be it might be a sports person, for example. But I really, I find that, that grit and determination quite motivating. So it's really nice to see those struggles. And not seeing them struggle, but seeing them overcome the struggles. Yeah. And those people are really interesting to me so those people that got that massive determination find those really fascinating people so that's where i'm currently getting my inspiration from um but there are so many fantastic people doing so many fantastic things in the world Mm -hmm. it's i mean it's hard to hone in on one but at the moment i think those are those are the interesting ones to me okay so talking about fantastic things um I know that you do quite a lot of charity work. So do you think that being an entrepreneur and being successful means that you should give back something that you've kind of gained? 100%, yeah, absolutely. I think um, the way I see the world is that uh, the world has been fairly kind to me. Um, You know, I've I've not had a big struggle. I've been, I've had a level of success. Um, I I don't actually consider myself that successful. Um, And I think that's just a mindset thing from my point of view. I always... I get to a point and I always want the next yeah, point and yeah. I think that's that's a good and a bad skill, good and a, a bad way of seeing things. I think it's absolutely required of, uh, of people to support the local community and, yeah. and the wider community actually. Mm-hmm. I think we just have a moral and social obligation to do that. Yeah. So um, I'm an ambassador for uh, Love Brum, which is a, a, a Birmingham-based, well, Midlands-based um, charity for charities. Yeah, it is. it is really, really good. Shout out to them. Can yeah. I can I shout out to them at the moment? So, um, so what those guys do is um, they help small charities that don't have any marketing budget, all the grassroots stuff that yeah. nobody knows they exist in, in part. Unless you need that very specific charity, nobody knows they exist. So Love Brum is the charity for those charities mm-hmm. and they do a fantastic job. Um, I've recently become an ambassador for Acorns Children's Hospice Business Club as well. Mm-hmm. So... Um, another absolutely oh, fun. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. now the the problem there is that i want to be able to give as much as i can yeah uh, and i don't just mean about money i mean about time as mm-hmm. well so have to be quite selective about what you get involved in so that you're not just doing a half-assed job with these things you have to be all in or all out as yeah. far as i'm concerned with these but i think uh, and i'm of course i'm doing a fire walk um in march yes, yeah so I'm that's gonna be, gonna be interesting to yeah work. absolutely I, I'll, I'll be honest with you i'm worried about my leg hairs but uh we'll, we'll maybe see maybe you'd shave them off before I, you yeah it. you need to do a bit of veet beforehand yeah. mind you that might be flammable maybe oh, perhaps that could be the week before maybe i get my legs waxed what am i walking into here what am i walking into hopefully you'll have forgotten about that one but oh no it's recorded yeah right, it's okay. recorded and you're definitely doing that matt so fantastic what people want. something to look forward to so um i, I think there's a, a very strong obligation and hopefully you know you guys see it as well i, I feel like we could always do more mm. i guess that's just the that's my nature i always feel like we've not quite done enough mm. um but i think anyone who's well, no, I don't think you need to be successful, actually. I think it just needs to be, you need to be a decent person and help yeah. those less fortunate. I think, 
you know, going back to my childhood, I didn't have a difficult childhood. I didn't have a challenge, um, but I saw other people struggle. And when I was a kid, I didn't understand what that meant, but now I do. And hopefully some of my contributions, and I don't just mean financial, I mean time, effort, energy, have helped somebody else to come along. And I, I just think we're all obligated. We're, look, we're all in it together. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're, yeah. we're one race and we've got one planet. Yeah. We've got to look after ourselves and it. Yeah, I definitely think that it's really important if you are fortunate to have a good upbringing to give back to people that haven't. And I, yeah, I yeah. think it's Don't really do a Jeff Bezos and just go off into space. No. It's not, not cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting though, isn't it, that three of the world's billionaires have decided that they want to flee the planet. So yeah. you should probably be Leave reading into there. that. <laughs> yeah, no need for billionaires. <laughs> And that's it, Matt. We've reached the end of the podcast. Yeah, it went quick, didn't it? Unless, I mean, is there anything exciting for Oxbridge in the pipeline that you'd like to... Or or do you want to keep it under your hat or anything you want to put out there? Well, you guys experience it every day. There's always something Mm -hmm. exciting going on. And look, we're we're here doing what we do. Um, This year we've had phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal results. Um, And I just want to thank you guys and everyone else at Oxbridge and everyone that's involved for all the hard work and effort that they put in. Um, You know, we don't shout about it properly as much as we should. Um, And all these wins that we have, and I don't mean just, you know, things like awards, etc. I think, you know, the things where we're actually helping people, Mm. it makes a big difference. And there is a lot of exciting stuff coming um, because ed tech as an industry means that we've got some very interesting disruptive things coming mm-hmm. which i probably can't say too it's much exciting. about at the moment yeah. but we um stay look, tuned yeah. I think ultimately <laughs> we're, we're looking at the challenges yeah. and we're trying to fix them uh, yeah. because there are plenty of them and, yeah. and hopefully over the coming years we can uh, we can achieve some of it mm-hmm. brilliant thanks everyone for listening this is the how did you get here podcast remember to tune in next month where we'll have an exciting guest finding out how they got here and remember to like us on youtube and our socials too <laughs>